All righty. Hey, everybody. This is Andrew Hunziker with Dope CFO Certified Advisors. Super excited for this episode. We have Alyssa Smales, Executive Director at the Utah Cannabis Association, which is the voice of cannabis in the Beehive State. We may have to ask about that because I lived in Utah for a while and I have no idea what that means. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's <laughs> that's um, I just saw that and I was like, what the heck is the Beehive State? So we'll we'll <laughs> Mark that when you're introducing yourself. Um, Utah Cannabis Association is a collaborative group of cannabis entrepreneurs representing cultivars. Um, but I want to jump in first with your kind of what's your background Um, kind of everyone has their own kind of cannabis intro story, how you even got in, into this career field. And then we'll dive in much more about the industry and your company or, or your organization as well. Yeah, so it, it is funny, like jumping into the cannabis space, everyone does kind of have like a, a very unique story kind of getting into it. Um, my backgrounds, um, I own my own event planning business for a lot of years. And and then I met a good friend who worked in, in policy in the government and government affairs. And she was like, come do some fundraising with me. And so we did fundraising for a while and that kind of evolved into lobbying. And then I found that I was really drawn to policy development. And so when the opportunity for... Um, the executive director of the cannabis association came up i thought well this is really cool like let's jump into this because it's a brand new industry and there's going to be a lot of stuff we can work on so that's i mean it's not as um as exciting as other cannabis stories but i was just really drawn to the to the policy development side of it so that's how i ended up here and that's a, a great lead in. And by the way, we tell everyone that, that joins Dope CFO Certified Advisor, including David, let's get involved. We're big believers in the movement and social justice reform, the medicine side, all parts, parts. And it's like, hey, let's actually get involved and try to, whether it's mentoring a social equity applicant or, you know, yeah. we had Erica at Washington, D.C. last week um, meeting with senators get involved at the state, local, and federal level, um, every every piece of that that puzzle. So we talked about that. David, why don't you jump in and, and with the next question, we'll go from there. Sure, yeah, and uh, very excited to be here. Thanks, Andrew, for and including me on this podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm David Lewis. I'm here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm the uh, managing partner of Dope CFO Certified Advisors Corporate Franchise. And uh, Alyssa and I have been working together for several months now trying to affect some policy change here in the state of Utah. And uh, just really excited to be here. And, you know, as an advocate for this industry and a patient myself, it, it's been great to work with Alyssa and try to make some changes in Utah here. Try so, being uh, the operative word, right? David? I always, <laughs> always, isn't, isn't that always the case? But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, with, with that said, uh, Alyssa, can you tell us a little bit about the Utah Cannabis Association and your role there as the executive director? Yeah, so the Utah Cannabis Association is um, the nonprofit trade organization um, that works with the license holders and operators in the state. So our mission really is twofold. So a lot of it is policy driven. I try to find common ground among these operators to then push forward policy that will help instigate change like tax credit changes or um, license structure, just different types of things that will help the program at large. And then the second part of our mission is just to increase patient awareness. There are so many people in the state that don't know that we have a medical cannabis program. And so 
I have held patient nights where we just explain what, what medical cannabis can be used for, um, things like that. And so, and we're working on, um, a media blitz campaign right now. So hopefully you'll see some of that coming out soon. Excellent. And yeah, I know education is one of the biggest pieces here. I mean, I've, I've grown up in Utah pretty much all my life and I never thought that we would be, I figured we would be the last ones to yes. legalize yes. medical at some point. <laughs> so, so I'm not surprised that more people don't know that it's available. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, having that educational push is so key. Um, did you encounter any big surprises when you actually jumped into medical cannabis? I mean, because it's such a unique industry. Oh, yeah. Yes. So, so many surprises. It's like building an airplane in flight, essentially. It's you jump in and you're like, okay, these are the parts that we need to work on right now. What's on fire? And then we can kind of move forward with what's happening next. Um, but it's really a cool place to be. I was surprised by the stories, like you said earlier, Andrew, of the people who have ended up in this market. Sometimes it's people who the traditional medical system has failed them, and then they've become impassioned by the product and 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 decided to devote their lives to it, whether that's lawyers or uh, managers or high-level executives. The people that are my board members are incredible leaders in their space. They have nuanced knowledge about a, a a budding new market and the barriers that come with that. So I was really impressed by by my board in general. But I was, and then I was also surprised by the depth of regulation surrounding the license holders. Um, this is the most highly regulated market in the state, and that shouldn't be surprising just because it is federally illegal still, right? So we've got to make sure we put really good guardrails around it. Um, and Utah has been really cautious about the way that they have dealt in this federally illegal market, but the regulations surrounding it have just been astounding from like packaging to operation plans, like all of the things that they have to do to make sure that their ducks are in a row was really surprising to me. You know, that is a a great point. And it was the same when I got in accidentally to a big farm as a CFO, I mean, gosh, almost 10 years ago in the Portland area, just all the compliance and regulation. Yes. Also, (laughs) the four founders that they were, you know, had a really good craft product. They had a good name, a good brand. They raised a ton of money, millions of dollars. They were doing everything right. Except when I got there, there was everything I call the back office, accounting, HR, compliance, OSHA, licensing, state rules, all that stuff was like, everyone's like just putting their hands over their ears. I don't want to deal with it. And so that's one of our big pushes at Dope CFO. Hey, you need somebody. A lot of those those founders are thinking, oh, I just need a bookkeeper. It's like we do way more oh, than bookkeeping. Yeah. We're going to help keep keep you all in line on everything from software to compliance to banking insurance, et cetera. Um, but what I wanted to ask about the Utah. So yeah, I would think Utah is even stricter than Oregon. And, and like mm-hmm. I said, I grew up in Oklahoma very, very red state. They sued the state of Colorado when Colorado legalized in 2013. Oh, um, interesting. And only very interesting is four years later, um, Forbes called Oklahoma the most cannabis friendly state in the U.S. And mm-hmm. their laws are increasingly lax. So you have a, oh. you have a red state like Oklahoma thinking, <laughs> oh, we'll never legalize here. 
and, and next thing you know, they're let they almost have no rules. And then oh, you go yeah, to and it's still, a <laughs> oh, it's still yeah. considered a medical market, and not like it is. Oklahoma is very surprising. That is true. And, <laughs> and, then, and then Utah, I live there too. With the yeah, I would have thought um, I was at, at Park City actually. Now, now that little nook of the woods, yeah, I would I could see them legalizing all kinds of drugs. But then when you <laughs> Salt Lake. Salt Lake over the mountain a little bit. And then Idaho's right next door. And I always think of Idaho, oh, we're free and can do anything we want. Don't tell me what to do. But but they have the harshest laws in the land. Yes, they do. <laughs> but um, so tell me kind of your thoughts on on Utah and the and I like to know the rulemaking. Like how many are they like in my opinion, Salt Lake could easily host a thousand cannabis companies. And are they allowing that many licenses or is it very very particular who can op open a dispensary? Yes, it's very limited. So like, I'm glad you brought up Oklahoma because I think what they did in Oklahoma was they decided it's a medical marketplace, but then they also decided that they would have unlimited licenses. And so what that did is it just opened the floodgates for anybody who was interested in cannabis. And then you have dispensaries popping up on, and I'm not sure if they call them dispensaries there. Yeah. They're popping up on every corner, you know, which essentially would just drive the price down because the supply yeah. is so high. So what they did in Utah initially is they decided to have 14 pharmacy licenses because we're trying to keep it very, very medical, even down to the um, the language that we use. So pharmacy, 14 pharmacy license, we have 18 or not 18, we have eight cultivators. And then we have, um, I, I want to say between, you know, I don't know how many processors we have because that is an, that one's not capped. But what they did was they, they sent out an RFP and then they awarded these licenses. And they and I think it's really cool the way that they were intentional about this because what they did was they've allowed these companies to grow in a healthy way, to kind of work the kinks out of their systems and learn what they need to do to become effective in their business strategies, which is so nice for them because they don't have to worry about unnecessary competition coming in and worrying about exactly what happened in Oklahoma, which has allowed our market to grow. And it's, I think that that's really, really cool. And one thing before, and David, I'll let you slip in. I'm going to have a slip in a, a non-question. So where, where I come across, and we talk about this a lot at AICPA, like um, Ron, who's on that committee with us in Colorado, you get you get states like yeah Oklahoma that just unlimited free market lots of failures too much commodities up and down Oregon kind of went that route Colorado a little little simpler um, and then you have states that are super restrictive so like the numbers you told me eight eight growers in I a know. city the size of Salt Lake <laughs> we have more than that in my tiny town of Bend Oregon of eighty thousand people so but but I, I again I look at my town as kind of a like what would fit in most little cities? So we're Bend, Oregon's about a hundred thousand people. Central mm -hmm. Oregon, we have twenty three dispensaries here. All, okay. None of them have gone under. They're all still here ten years later. Mm -hmm. They've gone through up and down cycles. We've had many growers um, come and go and um, processors. So we feel like we have a a pretty good market. But I feel like a major city like a Salt Lake or Denver or whatever, you need way more than eight locations. I mean, imagine if there's only eight hamburger joints in Salt Lake and you wanted a hamburger. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what, right. And that's so interesting because like we have right now in the program, we have 66,000 patients. Right. And I think that that's, that's a good example because like who doesn't know about hamburgers? Like everybody knows about hamburgers. And if you see a new one open up, even though there are probably like a thousand in Salt Lake, like you still kind of want to go try a new one, but they also have the ability to advertise that they exist. And so 
In Utah, oh. there are very strict regulations around advertising because they absolutely do not want to appeal to children in any way. So um, I think that that inhibits sometimes just the awareness that we exist. Because I think in Oregon, when they started opening those up, like they could advertise whatever they wanted, right? They could say, hey, we're here. Come, come, come. Oh, yeah. And so I think that's one of our major roadblocks is just getting the information out there that we are an actual legitimate industry. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the the advertising piece of it because Utah is very strict in their culture as far as trying to protect the children, you know, go, going through that message. It's the same thing with alcohol regulations here. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, what to Utah's credit, though, allowing this kind of organic growth with in the industry has kept it from going under because of exactly what you said of that oversupply issue, Melissa, because yeah. it just drives the price down and down and down. And uh, with the high federal tax burden that these companies have, yeah. they're hard pressed to survive anyway. So, so when the economics don't make sense anymore, everything just starts collapsing. So that organic mm-hmm. growth has, has really been good for the state, but I would like to see them go a step further and <laughs> start allowing a little bit more licenses because yes. I mean, the demand is certainly there and it's just educating the patients and yeah. matching them with what they need. to. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And removing stigma too, I think will be a huge part of the process. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, I mean, are there any other differences that you've been able to identify as far as between Utah and other states, like how are cannabis products getting onto the shelves of the medical dispensaries? Are there any nuances that listeners should be aware of? Um, yeah, yeah. So, and I'm going to answer, answer the second question first, just kind of give you an overview of how products get onto the shelves. So, um, because there is, uh, interstate commerce is federally illegal. And so every product that you find on the shelf was grown in Utah, processed in Utah, sold in Utah. So it's all essentially, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's farm to table, right? Um, they do have a few things that they, they will bring in, like some of the minor cannabinoids they ship in because it's, um, they're really good quality and those aren't affected by interstate commerce. But so the product is grown, processed and sold in the state. Um, it's tracked and traced from the time it's eight inches tall all the way to the time that it's found in your kitchen. Right. So they like to know exactly where everything is down to like if there's trim. Um, and there's waste on the ground, they sweep up the waste and they weigh the waste to make sure that they know exactly where every part of the plant is going. So extremely highly regulated. The packaging, certain labels need to be on it. Like I think, and these are some of the things that surprised me and that are different about medical, about cannabis in our state is that the products have so much um, regulation around it. Whereas you have states that have home grow. And so you're not tagging your your eight inch plant at home and saying, Hey, I've got six yeah. plants. You know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. just let you grow them and it's not a big deal. You go up to Humboldt County and it's like, they're everywhere. So yeah, yeah. it's a different, it's a different <laughs> world here. And having Nevada and Colorado right next to us, it's, it's interesting to go to those States and see the market and then come back home and be like, Oh, like it's not, you can't smell it really anywhere. Um, and that's another thing is it is, it's a non-combustion state. So it's illegal to put flame to flower anywhere in the state, even within your own home. Um, and that is not the case in a lot of other states. Wow, that that is super interesting to me. And that we're since we're talking about verticals, you mentioned three: cultivation, processing, and then the dispensary. Mm-hmm. Are there other? I start thinking immediately of other verticals like distribution, wholesalers, delivery companies, testing labs. Are mm-hmm. they separate licenses, or are they within those same three? 
So the, te the testing labs are separate licenses. Um, the home delivery can be affiliated with a pharmacy, but it's you have to have a pharmacy to have a home delivery right now. Um, but distribution, like the wholesale distribution is generally affiliated with the cultivation license. And then that cultivation license will sell to processors across the state. Um, we do have quite a few vertical companies, but it's not mandatory and it's not everyone. So, so okay, yeah. so they don't have to do it. I know some states are requiring it, which again, yeah, like Florida. I, th mm -hmm. I think is nutty because it's like, okay, I'm going to grow the wheat and then I'm going to make the Wonder Bread and then I'm going to own trucks and then I'm going to own a 7-Eleven to sell it to you. And that doesn't make sense. There's no other industry where where we would do that <laughs> from yeah. farm to table. And so it's like, but eventually I think, and I don't know the numbers in Utah, but I know nationally we're about eight out of 10 Americans want medical cannabis. And when eight out of 10 of us want something, we can vote with our numbers and slowly we'll get it. And I, I think what we'll just see is things open up more and more and more. Um, I think Minnesota just opened up as a 23rd rec state. So we went from Colorado one 10 years ago to 23. That's half the U.S. Yeah. So yeah. we're moving quicker and hemp CBD went from zero to fully legal. So I think it's coming quicker than we all think. I think um, it might be descheduled as well, but do they do any of the patients or do you hear complaints of people like, Oh, I can't get enough choices here or, or more licenses or are there any politics involved? There's only eight, oh, yeah. eight farms. And what about other people that want to grow maybe better weed? <laughs> right. Yeah. No. And home grow. So originally in prop two home grow was on the ballot initiative and Utah. And I think this is a question maybe that's coming later, but Utah is interesting because the legislature in Utah, once a, once an initiative is passed, the legislature can take that law and they can change it immediately. There's no waiting period. There's no two thirds majority vote. It's just you can take it and you can change it. And so that was one of the things that we lost in Prop 2. And there are a lot of people who still want that. So there are absolutely politics involved. This is um, a highly charged topic and always will be. It's difficult to find consensus among even operators that are existing right now on some of these issues. And so um, my job is just to take the high level stuff that everyone can agree on and try and polish the program to make it sustainable for these operators. You know, and it's, I mean, it's easy, it's pretty general stuff that I work on. Like 280E is one of them that I've worked on with with David, you know, just kind of just really high level stuff. But yeah, I don't know that I don't, I don't see us going wreck for a long time just because of the powers that are at play in Utah. But, um, but I think a lot of people still hope for it, you know. Absolutely. And I think that that's a great segue into, into the next question, Alyssa. I mean, based on your experience, I mean, do you have a few insights to share on how to develop common sense legislation and regulation at the state level? I mean, what, what does that look like? Yeah. So, I mean, I try to get people in rooms as much as I can, you know, like these, these operators are so busy. They have so much going on. Like you said, Andrew, like they're, they're grinding the wheat and baking the bread and sell it, you know, they've got all of these things that are going on. Um, and so to think about the high level policy initiatives that we need to get moving on together, I feel like the association itself is imperative for that. So I try to get them into a room. And, and I mean, this is a couple of weeks ago. I was like, bring your five top priorities and let's work through the details of those and see which ones everyone can align on and which ones maybe we don't. And then oftentimes, if there's something that's really important to one industry, they have a lobbyist and they can go and work on that on their own, you know. But 
I think it's just creating an environment where they feel comfortable and understand that there are bigger issues beyond just one operator that need to be addressed in the program as a whole. And that's, I mean, that's really what I try to do as much as I can, David. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, just to sidebar on this, we've been we've been working together to try and get a tax credit passed at the state level to, you know, try and offset some of the, the pain that 280 is causing at the federal level. Mm-hmm. But it is it is like pulling teeth and we didn't get it this session, but we're we're still marching along with it. <laughs> yeah. And it and it passed unanimously through the Senate. It was just drafted late. And I had a conversation with one of the representatives who helped us with cannabis yesterday. And he's like, I think this is a no brainer. We just need to polish the details. So yeah. I'm so hopeful that I probably shouldn't be that hopeful. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll get it. Fingers crossed. We'll we'll get yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just speaking more to the association too. I mean, Alex Yorg, I hope I'm saying his last name right. You are. Good job. Oh, yeah. All right. They collected 200,000 signatures in support of medical cannabis. And as a result of that effort, Prop 2 was placed on the statewide ballot in 2018 and passed. I mean, in your opinion, was it the way that the legislation was written? Was it the demand for medical cannabis or was it something else that led to it passing? You know, I kind of think it's more, it was a lot like, it was a national wave, right? Like we had seen Colorado pass in 2014 and Nevada passed in 2016. And I think it was demand for, it was support and demand for the product. We wanted a legal way to access cannabis and um, the constituents in Utah were like, Hey, it's time. And it was, it was a fight to get that passed. And, and the people like I, I've only been in the industry for about a year and a half. And so, but so I wasn't there for that, but I do hear the stories of that. Like it, it took years off people's lives that it was a hard fought battle that they, that they, they got most of what they wanted. And there are some things that they had to give up. Um, but like I said earlier, because Utah can take, um, a, an initiative once it's passed into law and make changes, there were some changes that were made and some of them industry was happy with, and some of them they were furious about, and some yeah. patients are just still scarred from it. But um, I think the compromise shows that the legislation wasn't ideal, but I mean, we did get a medical cannabis marketplace. And I think that it's, I think it is beneficial for Utah's constituents. Like I said, I thought we we would be last. (laughs) We're not Idaho. We're not Idaho. (laughs) We're not Idaho. (laughs) I know I did. And, and it's still funny that, that even state like Texas, eight out of 10 Texans with the latest poll want medical cannabis. It's like, I guess the other 20% are, are running the government, but even Idaho, (laughs) you know, the, what are the two busiest dispensaries in Oregon? They're right there on the Idaho border in the middle of nowhere is the dirt field and two dispensaries that serve all of Boise. Um, well, well, I always I always laugh at that, Andrew, because it was the same way here in Utah. If you went over to Wendover or down to Mesquite, if you're in southern Utah and you look in those dispensary parking lots, count all the Utah license plates. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. jammed up. Well, um, what list? So you you're working with the state and many companies. What would you like accountants and CFOs? I know you've worked with David as well. So love to hear your thoughts on that side. I know we all know 280 hertz hurts pretty much everybody. Um, but yes. give us some thoughts on that as well. No, David's been amazing. Um, his response time is beyond belief. Like I'm so <laughs> grateful to have a group of, of CPAs and CFOs <laughs> dedicated to this field because there are so like you guys know better than anybody, the nuances that are attributed to this. 
And I like I didn't know that you guys did banking stuff as well. And so I'd love to have that conversation a little bit later on because I was in DC last week also lobbying for that. And so um no, we are we are so grateful for anyone who takes interest in helping ease the burden of of the federal illegality of this product. Um and we've talked a little bit about 280E. I think most people who are watching this podcast probably understand it pretty well. Um, but David and I worked to, to get a tax credit to help ease some of that so that our businesses could write off some of their state expenses. And even if we fix it at the state level, I think most people probably know that they're still beholden to a federal level 280E. And so we lobbied for that a little bit last week in DC as well. It's just, you know, like yeah. anyone who's focused on developing this, this, program, this industry, nationwide, statewide, um, we're just so grateful for the help. And and the fact that like, it just legitimizes the fact that this is a, this is a, it's a productive industry and it is bringing, it's bring it's helping patients. Totally agree. And I'll, I'll turn it over to you, Dave. I just think that's exactly right. And the, the people in the industry get it, that the people like Dope CFO or David that are all into the industry, as opposed to someone like and i tell accountants i talk to them all day long about thinking about cannabis like don't this isn't an industry to dip your toes in as a side hustle you're either all in or all out (laughs) that's really true yeah you've got you gotta be in it (laughs) it is that complex and i mean to your point Alyssa, and you know i'm gonna i'm gonna give us a shameful plug right here but i mean you you mentioned not being able to get a hold of your CPA, which is one of the biggest complaints we hear all the time is like, oh, they're just not responsive. So that's that's mm-hmm. kind of what we try to do differently here at Dope CFO is it's white glove service where we're trying to have fewer number of clients, higher level of quality and being responsive, you know, within one day, get you an answer for what you need. So. No, and it's so, so refreshing because I know when I text you or I call you or I email, like I know I'll hear back quickly and it's so nice because this this things are moving and there are details that need to be addressed quickly you know and so it's oh, no yeah. you guys have been phenomenal to work with <laughs> well thank you i'm grateful for that feedback and yeah. we will continue <laughs> to do good work but i kind of switching gears here a little bit so more toward the consumer side because i i think what a lot of people don't realize maybe getting into the industry is or maybe they do i don't know but the consumers here are savvy. They are so savvy and they understand what they want out of their products. So regarding medicines being created from cannabis, I mean, we've got pharmaceutical chemists here that are looking at a whole lot more than just the THC content of the plant. Uh, could you give us some insight into that? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think, um, David, that's a good point that um, a lot of a lot of people who are kind of stepping into the cannabis market don't really understand how many varieties of product there are that, that, that different products can affect different things, you know, and that there are products that can lift your energy and there are products that can bring it down. And so I guess in the beginning of cannabis legalization, CBD was kind of the thing. And I think that was because um, it was new and the farm bill like allowed, well, CBD was, you know, it was kind of being, let me start over. In the beginning of the cannabis legalization, CBD was in the forefront of the media. And so it's been found to be really effective treating epilepsy. And so seeing that, I think people were more became more interested in the cannabis plant as a whole. It was like, okay, if this can treat epilepsy, what else can this do? So now they're finding multiple cannabinoids that can be helpful in a variety of different conditions. Um, the, the struggle that we've had up to this point is that because of the federal illegality, research has been limited. 
because you're not allowed to research anything with a, with a controlled substance, a schedule one controlled substance. Um, so now the regulations are easing up. President Biden just signed a bill that allowed the United States to be able to research it in a more holistic way without punishment or, you know, without the stigma that surrounds it. So we can see what the cannabis plant can actually do. Um, and it, we are very excited about the results that are going to come out of this because with that dedicated research, um, we're going to see what strains and what cannabinoids and all, how all of these things interact with different parts of our body, which up until this point has been more taboo to talk, to talk yeah. about. And that's, that's one thing, what I love, like I said, I'm a patient myself. So when I go in to renew my medical card every year, it's really almost like a doctor's office visit. They'll, they'll <laughs> sit you down and go, you know, what, what are you trying to treat? What are the symptoms? Here are the different, <laughs> here's the different terpene profile that, that works what? for that. Here's the, <laughs> It's it's really but I, I think people one, who aren't involved in cannabis don't understand how the level of sophistication that has really come out of all of this. Yes. Research. No, I absolutely agree. I was surprised with um, all of the different types of products and all the things that they could help with when I when I got my card and I was like, OK, well, let's check it all out. And it's it's kind of exciting because you learn things that you didn't know before. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And. Um, and they, and I'll jump to my question, but just yeah, one sure. on that, David, once your state gets together, it's, it's it, just when you said that going to the doctor, I was like, oh, what if I had to go to the doctor to have my beer before um, going out <laughs> to dinner or whatever? Or, <laughs> or what if I told my doctor, well, well, I'm going to be at Disneyland with my kids and and of course, I need a little product before <laughs> before going um, Peter Pan and Snow White. Or yeah, yeah. More fun. And I mean, there's a there's a couple different <laughs> forces. There's a couple different forces in the background, right, Andrew? But most <laughs> of it is is the federal illegality because you, yeah. you look at it's kind of an ironic situation. It's like we've got marijuana over here, which is highly regulated in the state, but then you've got like um, essential oils over here, which are hardly yeah. regulated at all. <laughs> so oh. it. It's well, funny to see the mismatch in policy. But. Well, talking about that, what about pricing? Um, and, and you mentioned interstate until the state walls go down like they are for mm -hmm. hemp and CBD now. Yeah, you have 50 different pricing markets depending on supply and demand. Um, so what is, talk a little bit about the Utah pricing market. Is that kind of average maybe in the middle of some of these states? Yeah, so we did a study last year for a working group up at the legislature and it just showed that for, as far as medical markets go, Utah's right in the middle um, for pricing. And and with, I mean, if interstate commerce ever becomes federally legal, I think that will be something that we'll need to address. But I don't foresee that happening for a while. In fact, I think Utah is, is um, contemplating what will happen if interstate commerce is accepted among different states, because I think it just passed in California. So they're saying, yeah, we're ready to do this. We're ready to send it everywhere that we can. And don't quote me on that. I'm not positive that it passed, but I know it was on the ballot. And so, so we'll see. But for, for now, um, that is one of the complaints is that the product price is high, getting into the program, the product, the price is high. And so those are issues that as an association, we are working to bring, to remove the barriers that create higher cost. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I know as long as we do have those markets, it just encourages illegal weed because mm -hmm. if the Californians know they can get 5,000 more a pound on the East coast, <laughs> they're going to yeah. be like, why am I going to do this legally? Um, but at the end of the day, I think legal markets will win because 
most of the U.S. is like me, aging baby boomers, and we want to know what we're buying. We don't want mm-hmm. something off the street. So yeah, comes down to the consumer. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like we did a test between um, illicit cannabis and tested pharmaceutical, like for lack of a better term, pharmaceutical cannabis that we're selling here. Um, and it, you, we were we weren't surprised, but there is a huge difference at how clean our product is because it is tested, and there are you know the pesticides that they use have to be you know it's all very very regulated. It's like your food, yeah. like you know they're very careful. Once it's put on a the shelf, they're very careful about what they put in front of you. Whereas in the in the illicit market, that's not necessarily the case. Absolutely. Yeah, and I was just, we, we were reading a little bit about uh, the patient subsidy program that UCA is involved in. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so the patient subsidy program um, is actually, so we have, we have there's a, there's a patient group that I work really closely with, and it's the Utah Patients Coalition. And the executive director over there, her name's Desiree Hennessy, and she's done a phenomenal job of making this medicine accessible to those who, um, who have a difficult time financially getting behind it. And so... She, um, what, what she does is there's, um, there's money that she's put aside that every month she can give to patients who are trying to decide whether they need, you know, like they, whether they can pay their rent or they can purchase their medicine, kind of that kind of a situation because they have severe epilepsy or they're, they have back pain and they've been addicted to opioids and they don't want to go back to, you know what I mean? So just those situations where it's really difficult to obtain the medicine, Des, Des has done an awesome job of working with patients and anyone who's interested in that, if, if that's something that they're struggling with, she is one of the most open, genuine people I've ever met. And she would be happy to talk to anybody. And her website is utahpatients.org if they're interested in learning Excellent. more about that. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll pop a link down in the description. Oh, perfect. Too. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Well, awesome. Um, this has been super informative and I've learned a lot about Utah as well. I'm really glad to see Utah moving forward in the movement. Is there anything we haven't hit there any other um, things to cover? And then also we will, like David said, put all the links and social in our notes and we'll share on social media, but also tell, tell how people can find you as well. Yeah. Yes. So I, I mean, I think we covered a broad spectrum of things. I think the only thing that I would say is if anyone has questions about how to get into the market, what the product looks like, any like any questions about the Utah market at all, I'm happy to have that conversation because one of our main goals is to increase awareness and to allow this to be an accessible medication to as many people who are interested in it. So yeah, just reach out to me. I'm happy, like I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone about this. That is great to hear. We is so much fun. Really, 99% of the people in this movement are awesome people like you and David. And it's just great to talk there. We the the people that are not doing good things make the headlines, but a lot of us are doing (laughs) so um, they don't do stories on us that are just trying to do a good job. So it's great to get this out there. And thank you so much for being on the show. And then we will hopefully see you at, at either conference or MJ BizCon or something. Yeah, and yep, you will. This year. 